Good day and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, where we are going to talk about Thrones, the the <laughs> show. Idea. Yeah, this is this is great. Um, I, Anthony, am here with Richard. Hello, hello. The Q Master. And Jenny. Shame! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Oh, a little preview there. Um, And we are going to talk about episodes 501 and 502, The Wars to Come, and The House of the Black and White. And I must say, the, the... 501, The Wars to Come, is a derivative of a line in the show. And then The House of the Black and White is probably the most descriptive title of an episode we've had, like literally descriptive of the episode thus far. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's kick it off. And we start off with a flashback that's revealed to us from Cersei where her and a friend of hers go and visit a witch, and she's given a little bit of a prophecy. Um, I'm interested, Richard, how quickly did you realize this was Cersei? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Until we get to a point where, in a later point in her life, uh, I think she is talking about this or something like that. I somehow were told that that's what this was later on. Yeah. Um, this is one of those scenes that comes back in the book several times. They never really get too much into, but it's referred to multiple times. So yeah, exciting stuff. Um, this is also, uh, the Tywin's funeral. So this is all happening in, in, uh, King's Landing. Yeah. Tywin's funeral. Oh my god, I missed the episode where they shot Tywin Lannister in the that in the was bum. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jenny. Uh, uh home 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 Depot has its has its courses. Um uh. <laughs> So Tywin's funeral, he's laying there just uh, reminiscent of the very first scene of the of the movie or the of the show where um when when you meet the twins it's John Aaron all over again with the little stones on his eyes, little eyes like painted onto the stones. He's laying in the, uh, laying in wait, uh, for people to come and, and see that he's actually dead. And Cersei and, um, Jamie have a nice little conversation about how everyone out there that is waiting are just poachers waiting to dismantle their family. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th- I think this is pity. her being paranoid a little bit, concerned that they're g- she's going to lose control. <laughs> Just a bit. I don't, is it paranoia if it's legitimate though? I, or, <laughs> <laughs> like these are these are genuine concerns that she has because Tywin Lann- Lannister was the the rock that held the Lannister family together, but. The casterly rock. Oh, see there she, oh, she went there. Oh, nicely done. Um, speaking of Lannisters, though, let's move on to Tyrion. He arrives in Pentos, uh, the city where we first met Daenerys, and he's there. <laughs> he's he's speaking with um, Viserys, who, or 
Varys. Jeez, how do I, I don't know how to screw right. those names up. They both appeared in that same house. So yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It's all it's all uh, Pintos. Um, I got a quote from this because they're talking, and Tyrion's view on the world is a little different than it used to be. Uh, he says, "The future is shit, just like the past." And it's a bit of a nod to the fact that he was traveling in a box, literally pushing his poop through the holes in the box. And he makes a comment about it. Meanwhile, Varys is like, do you know what it, how it feels to scrape up your poop after you've pushed it through the holes? And they kind of have this moment where both of them are just not very happy with their situation. But Varys sees it as this is the best it could be. And, T- and Tyrion sees it as, well, it can't get any worse. Um, yeah. Also, thus begins literally my favorite, just my favorite conversation of all of Game of Thrones. Like, it's an ongoing multi-season conversation. And for all the things that I deeply, deeply, deeply hate about this season, and there are many, this is the highlight for me. Their conversations together? Yeah. Just the, yeah. the Varys and Tyrion show is just wonderful. A- anything with Tyrion is wonderful in this season. He is the rock upon which this season rests, I think. Well- and I also feel like, from my perspective, they've finally exposed Varys's true intent and motivations, right? Like, he previously kind of shirked around, and you didn't know if you could trust him, and you didn't know what he was up to, and sometimes he seemed good, and sometimes he seemed bad, and he's kind of laying it out for Tyrion, and in his bid to get Tyrion's help to get someone legitimate on the throne. Yeah, this is really the episode where uh, Varys lays out the fact that he just wants peace in the realm. He really does just want the health of the people in the realm to, to move on and, and to, to thrive as a, as a whole. And he's not really into it for himself or for particular people or families or whatever else. He's just for the realm. And it's because of his own tragic past that he has this view that he's there to help the realm. Because if you you know you can't really help an individual person, but you can help everybody, then that's what you should be doing. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I don't know if we want to cross episodes and go yes. into <laughs> the next conversation that they have, but. I also found it, whether it's supposed to be symbolic or ironic or what have you, whereas previously Tyrion was in a box as they were traveling, in the next episode, they're in a box together (laughs) in what is essentially an old world RV. Right. Right. This is the fanciest coach I've ever seen displayed on TV. (laughs) Um. Yeah, and, and Tyrion is just—he's tired of being pent up. He 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 went from the small box to now he's in a big box, and they're still going through. And Varys is worried about privacy, and and people find out that who Tyrion is, and that he's going through. And at one point, uh, Tyrion says, "What is what is Cersei going to do? Kill every dwarf in the land?" And then it flashes flashes over to <laughs> <laughs> to um to a scene where two people are bringing forth a dwarf's head and throwing it on a table, and like, oh, that's that's not Tyrion. Uh, shall we have these two poachers stricken? And she's like, no, I don't want to discourage people from finding Tyrion. 
Uh, right. So, so she's literally <laughs> just taking any dwarf's head that she can find. Uh, <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, I'll take that head. Oh, yes. Uh, that's oh, so creepy. <laughs> the dude who is supposedly helping the mountain restore his life, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is his name? I can never remember his name because I hate yeah, him. Yeah, I can't remember it either. Uh, creepy Lurker. <laughs> creepy Lurker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, dead Guy Lover. Um, mm-hmm. He's, yeah, he's gross. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Um, and uh, they have they have this continual conversation. They even, at one point, Tyrion finally breaks free. And I figure we can close this storyline out. He he breaks free of the box and he just says, I'm done. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a whore and I'm going to get some more alcohol. I'm going to see some people and smell some sights and see some food or whatever. And they end up in a brothel, of course. You you you're, you went another episode further than we've oh, talked so far. Did I really? Oh, yeah. See, this is the trouble of watching the shows. Yeah. Well, so that's okay. They don't, save they don't go and, that far yet. Yeah. Save <laughs> save what happens in the brothel. But yes, uh, he does break out. <laughs> you can't contain but, Tyrion. <laughs> while they're... Yeah, very good. Why, so a couple things about this scene. One, they continue their conversation. Two... It's obvious that at this point, Varys has convinced Tyrion to help him in his quest to basically go find Daenerys and help her become the rightful ruler. And so they're on their way to Marine. And in part, I, I wrote down just one line that I thought was just, I, I always love. Tyrion's dialogue, but one of my favorite, favorite comebacks in this thing was Varys says to him, are we really going to spend the entire time talking about the utility of everything? And Tyrion says, you're right, no point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're just great. They're just, ah, it's like a traveling show with the two of them. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Literally. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. No, it's the, you have a eunuch and a dwarf traveling in private across the lands. That is literally a circus, uh, a sideshow act waiting to happen. Um, okay, so let's go out to Danny and find out what's going on out there. It's it, it's a different scene for her now, uh, Richard. We've told you time and time again how she learns lessons and and, and forgets them. This is another one of those situations where she's being, she's got some trouble going on, and she's got to make some decisions, and we get to wonder if she's making the right ones. Yeah, and you know, so lots of crazy stuff going on here. Um, first, the first we see Marine, we see the idol at the top of the pyramid crashing down, mm-hmm. and. Um, somehow miraculously not landing on the people who stood in their place <laughs> while it nearly came down and killed them. And then we see that one of the Unsullied is in a brothel, just spooning. Mm-hmm. Just, he just needs some love. And while he's there, he is murdered. And so Daenerys is pissed. Yep. Wants to find out what's going on, and meanwhile, um, 
Missandei, Missandei, whatever her name is. She's confused Missandei. about Missandei. One doesn't understand why the Unsullied go to the brothel. Mm. Uh, and Grey Worm, whom she asks, doesn't give provider any comfort. He has no, he doesn't betray any desires or reasons for it either. Um, of course, he's got something else on his mind. The sons of the harpy are uh, attacking and killing. Apparently, the uh, the unsullied and are revolting against Danny's rule. Yeah. So, and then there's there's another scene where we have, you know, yet another plea by somebody. I forget this guy's name. Hold on. Uh, it's one of her, her counsel. Yeah. Mossador. Is that his name? Uh, um, generally non-important. Future yeah. But so I forget. Victim. Is it him? It, it, or is, is it-, <laughs> it, it is important to mention that her, her small council is made up of a freed slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the previous masters. Mm-hmm. Um, her the people that she's had around her so Dario and this is Dario number three right. <laughs> uh, we, we we finally get Dario number three um, and Missande and these are the people that she's taking counsel from on a regular basis uh, so she has a, a wide breadth of people from the the area and from the old world even uh, trying to give her ideas and this one guy this one freed slave is not happy with her reaction to kind of anything right now. Yeah, yeah. and But I don't remember, was it him or was it one of the other people who kind of pleased to let the masters... No, he pleads against it. Someone asks that the people who were the masters now, like, they want their cockfights back. They want to have they, some of their traditions back that they had in the past. Mm-hmm. And... Daenerys doesn't know what to do, and 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 also for some reason I don't remember why. Maybe she realizes that she needs the support of, like she's more powerful if she's with her dragons. But she tries to reconnect with the dragons, and they're not having it. They're they're pissed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pissed. in the dark. I, yeah, and 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 you know for good reason because she did. Kind of double cross them. Um, so that comes down to Dario number three is the one that says, "Well, you should you should give them their fights because that's how I came up, and that that's one of the ways for for the the the, the lowly to find their their way up into the world." And one of the things you, that he says at the end of their conversation is, "A dragon queen with no dragons is not a queen," mm-hmm. and right. that's what that's what ushers her to go visit um, the two dragons that she has locked up in the in the in the catacombs yeah yeah now remind me or don't remind me because I wouldn't know but for you two who have read the book one of the things that I was curious about is like was this level of an of kind of involvement with the dragons and the drama of the dragons getting locked up and everything. I think we talked about that last time. That just, that just destroyed me. I hated that scene. Um, was that all in the book or is this one of the things that they diverge from? I don't think I made it this far because I was just like these, this is where the book started to get like separate characters for all the entirety of a book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, come on, that's 
<laughs> this, is, this is where we're going book four and book five, where book four is Westeros or or Essos, and then book five is the opposite continent, and it kind of splits yeah. everything apart. And this is as far as I made it in the books as well. So um, we're kind of we're kind of diverging from us. This might be one of those things where we need to bring Kent back on at another time and ask him these questions because he has read the books. Like he's he he challenges me on my knowledge of the books all the time because he's a jerk. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is this. I, I can tell you that after watching the show and these scenes, revisiting these scenes where she's going down to the dragons, it doesn't get more comfortable mm-hmm. until it, it reaches it, it's the this subplot's pinnacle. Like once it reaches its conclusion, it's it's and this little subplot of the dragons being contained until it reaches its conclusion, it doesn't get more comfortable. In fact, it's going to get far more uncomfortable. Uh, next season, or next, uh, I guess the end of this season, whenever that, whenever it happens, that that storyline kind of fleshes itself out. It gets really uncomfortable before it gets ever ever comes back into the world of of happy, happy, joy, joy. Mm. Okay, yeah, all right. You, well, uh, if we're staying in marine across episodes, I guess we may as well follow through that they decide that they're going to go find the killer. Yep. And so Grey Worm and Darius together are out and about trying to find someone and uh Grey Worm thinks that they've hit a dead end, but uh Darius's uh Scooby Sense managed to find <laughs> someone who is hiding behind a wall. Yeah. And then they have to figure out what are they gonna do with them. Mm-hmm. And of course uh Masador wants to just have him killed. Yeah. And the rest of the, well, not the rest of them, but some of her counselor counsel are saying, well, you know, maybe you should have a trial. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should do this right. Be just. And which is what they decide to do. Uh, however, little freed slave man decides he has other plans for him because he mouse off a little bit, kills him. And now Danny has to, instead of having a trial for, uh, the, the son of the harpy, and, she, and making an example of that guy, she has to make an example of one of her small council, and it changes things a little bit because he readily admits that he killed him. So there's no trial necessary. <laughs> yeah, and this is one of the things where she just has to bring justice, uh, and which is hard justice. And I initially didn't think that she'd really go through with it, but uh, she decides he has to die, and an interesting an interesting quote from her that i thought was was actually you know probably underrated and but very good was as he is pleading to her saying but you are the law you know we follow you she says no the law is the law and from my perspective i looked at that as oh maybe she's actually growing up a little bit mm it didn't Maybe. seem that way when the whole town revolts uh, against each other and against her, and they have to well, usher her right. off into. <laughs> so <laughs> into when, safety. in fact, you end up t- carrying out justice in front of everybody that you're supposedly ruling and leading, they get pissed off and riot and start fighting each other, and your life is in danger, and so you retreat into your pyramid. Right? Isn't that what you would do? Uh, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, to continue with with Danny's storyline here, 
she's not not doing too well. She's got her, her own second thoughts, and she's kind of um, kind of in in her own place. Uh, she's in her quarters or whatever, and she's just not not feeling all queen like. And then she goes out to get a breath of fresh air, and she notices a breeze from above. Looks up, and Drogon has returned. Mm-hmm. So Good now, scene. now you have to wonder what's Drogon going to think about his his brother and sister being locked away. Uh, he doesn't right. he doesn't look overly happy to see Danny to begin with. Uh, which is funny because I don't know how dragons convey emotion, but that's the emotion that I got from him. And um, that's how that closes out. That's kind of like, okay, well, Drogon's back, and now what's Danny going to do? Because, well, she's got her dragons, but... <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's funny. I looked at this scene a little bit differently, and I'm curious to see how Jenny took it. I looked at this as in her time of need... Drogon came back Mm. and he's I think they're both cautious as they approach each other because they're not quite sure really where they stand with each other right now or whether they can trust each other and then he flies off and I'm like oh in theory she has her dragons back maybe this will help restore order that's kind of where I landed. And then in the back of my head, oh, but he's going to find out about the other two dragons. <laughs> yeah, my take on this is that, like, the dragons are her spirit animal. And he has come back to warn her that she's losing her spirit, that she's off track, uh, especially by putting those dragons underground, which is just like, I still get chills thinking about that scene. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is, like, he's there to be like, lady. I don't follow you because you hold trials. <laughs> and Jenny mm. bringing it back with the uh, the metaphysical and really probably bringing it home pretty good. Um, okay, so shall we go to Castle Black? Because there was lots going on at Castle Black during these two episodes. There was. Uh, starts out, Stannis wants John to convince Mance to bend the knee. Uh, Mance Raider is in, in lockup at Castle Black, and Stannis wants John, and he promises John, well, I will legitimize you uh, under my power as king and make you lord of Winterfell, and you'll be warden of the north and all the things you've ever wanted. All you have to do is convince Mance to... Uh, convince Mance to bend the knee, have the free folk fight with me, and you come with me and leave the wall. And none of this sits well with John. It really doesn't sit well with Mance, as John tries to to talk Mance into it uh, half-heartedly. Richard, how did you feel about this interaction between John and Stannis, and then between John and Mance? So first of all, I'm a little bit confused as to why Stannis has kind of taken up camp there. I, I, I guess I'm having a hard time seeing what's in this for him to be staying there because the, the Night's Watch is, they're all pledged to stay there and to continue to defend the wall right or 
you know, be, to, to stay at the wall. So what does he figure he's getting out of this? He thinks that he might be able to turn the wildlings, but John does his best to convince him that that's not going to happen. They're not going to support you. Positive and, Yelp reviews. But what? <laughs> Wow. I mean, I know I I say that as a joke, but I also don't say it as a joke. Like he went there for PR. Yeah. Yeah. He went went to save the Night's Watch from the wildling attack in order to to, prove he's a king. Yeah, exactly. This is this is him proving his mettle. Meanwhile, if you look at the geography of of Winterfell, the wall is quite the ride from Winterfell. Winterfell is currently held by the Boltons who have sworn allegiance to the Lannisters, although that's in shady shake because of uh, the death of of Tywin. And Stannis wants to take Winterfell, give that to Jon. That's kind of his his carrot there. Meanwhile, he's staying at the Wall because that's the only place with any kind of warmth for hundreds of miles. Okay. Um, And they need to rebuild so his men can help rebuild Castle Black while they're there because at least then they're being employed and, and keeping their, uh, their, their, their strength up. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I didn't get the feeling that John was going to, you know, def, uh, give up his oath. I, I never felt that he'd just like go up and, leave the folks that he's you know that he's sworn his allegiance to cuz that doesn't seem like John. So this seemed like it wasn't something that was going to happen to me and and uh, <clears throat> I stated that poorly but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. And so you know we we see a couple things transpire here. One is that John tries to go ahead and uh, convince Mance, Mance isn't having it. Uh, ultimately, they take him out and they <laughs> I literally burn him at the stake, if you will. Mm-hmm. And while he's alive, John can't... John just is beside himself about this and ultimately ends up mercy-killing him while he's standing there so he won't have to scream in agony in front of his men. Right. Which is kind of an amazing scene. It it really is, especially when you look at... I mean, this is a person that John went and could, could have been killed by Mance a few times, wasn't. He was held captive. He was, you know, turned to the wildling side, if you will, um, albeit temporarily or or, or falsely. Um, but John has a lot of respect for Mance. He's he's done something that no one in thousands of generations has done, and unite the wildlings, unite the people of the north, to come down and attack the wall. And I think he understands John. I mean, I think John understands that Stannis doesn't understand the ways of the world up in the north. He doesn't understand that even if John said yes, I'll go to Winterfell and and take up my lordship or whatever else. There was no way the rest of the Night's Watch was just going to let wildlings pass through the wall to join Stannis' army. 
Like there's right. Stannis just doesn't understand the ways of the world and trying to burn Mance at the stake. It didn't seem like something to. It's not befitting the honor that Mance has earned, at least in John's eyes. And John took care of that. Yeah, and and so let's carry this story through as well. He there's some retribution for this. He's basically brought before Stannis again, and stare and. Uh, Stannis and, and Davos try to kind of dress him down a little bit, but then suddenly put a carrot out there and say, okay, well, you know what? You could be a Stark again. You could have your title back, and I would do this for you if you swear your allegiance to me. Right. It's everything that he's always wanted. He talks to Sam about how he's always wanted this, but he's not going to do it because he's pledged his allegiance to... The Night's Watch, and he's going to stay there. <laughs> the honor of the Starks is atrocious at times. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, get over the honor. Everybody else has. Um, and th- oh. this leads to uh, now they need a new, um, a, a new com- Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And that vote begins... Um, you can't nominate yourself apparently because so, everybody who's nominated gets nominated by someone else. They nominate some uh, some random guy from some other place that nobody ever cares about from the shadow hold or whatever. They nominate a good old boy that got shot and and, and ran away. Um, uh, Alistair Thorne. That's it. Yep. And, uh, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. And then. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Samuel Tarley goes ahead and nominates John, uh, much to John's chagrin. And the vote comes in. It comes out to a tie after they've done all the things. And um, um, Mr. Amon has his vote, and he votes it for John. John becomes the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Yeah, and you know this was this was a, another really good scene for a variety of reasons. First off, as the jerk who was in control before is um, is about to get uh, voted in, like right before that happens, what I'm looking at, and 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 they they nominate some other random dude who's also you know worked for. And and provided his allegiance for years and years and years. This is an old boys club, yeah. right? It's just reinforcing that it's the old white men that are running the show. Not that there's anything really but white men there, but it's 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 an old boys club, and so it's quite disruptive. I think that Sam has the nerve to step up and not just nominate John, who really at the time that happens, doesn't want this to happen. Mm. Doesn't, is trying to get Sam to kind of sit down, but he goes ahead with it anyway. And in doing so also kind of sheds some light to win favor to John by exposing the cowardice of one of the other men there. The, the, uh, the, uh, Janice Slint, who nominated Alistair Thorne, uh, was the one that went down and hid with Gilly in the storeroom instead of fighting 
the wildlings and Sam calls him out on it, kind of just destroys his credibility and then reminds everyone that, that John himself was chosen by Lord Mormont, the previous Lord commander to replace him. He was specifically picked, uh, to replace him, and that kind of reminds everybody, hey, this is this is where we were supposed to be going, not towards Alice Thorne or random guy from Other Keep. Yeah, so I, I love I loved the scene. By the end of the scene, suddenly John is happy that this has happened. But okay, I don't know why the turn of events there, but I thought this was really clever, and it gives John a legitimate reason for not leaving. Yeah. Besides just his honor. Um so let's get back to uh the the odd couple Brian and Podrick are uh they they're they're not getting along very good. <laughs> no. Um Brian is really really pissed off about the loss of Arya and Podrick is just trying to do whatever he can to be the best squire he can. They have a nice little conversation. They always have these little quippy conversations that, that they're not on the, the Tyrion and Varys level, but they're still really pithy and really concise, and, man, they, they convey a lot of emotion. Um, they get passed by Sansa and, and Peter Baelish without even knowing that they're getting passed by Sansa and Peter Baelish, and they all end up at this inn, the the inn in the in the middle of the continent that we've talked about before. I think this is visit uh, 783. <laughs> Pod and, and Brian find Sansa. Well, well, Pod finds Sansa, sees her, and points her out. And Brian goes and approaches her and gives her this really bad story and then follows it up with a really good fight because Sansa's not going anywhere and Peter wants to squash this one person that's seen Sansa and Podrick and Brienne have to run on uh, one good horse and one stolen horse. And man, this is one of those action scenes that you don't see coming, but was really, really well executed and kind of gives you the character of all the people involved. What I particularly liked about this, like this comes right after... Littlefinger manages to kind of undo all of Brienne's claims. And again, Brienne being honorable, she is trying to uphold her commitment to this uh, Catelyn Stark. Mm -hmm. But as Peter points out, well, all right, so you were sworn to protect Catelyn, and she's dead. And you he's were sworn to protect Renly, and to he's protect dead. Renly, and he's dead. And so, why, why would you? Why would she trust that you'll protect her? Yeah. <laughs> and so she basically takes off. They try to hold her, and she takes off. She and Pod are on horses. Pod's riding a horse that he's not familiar with. No. <laughs> and while they're trying to evade the people who are in pursuit, they end up splitting up. Everybody follows Pod, it looks like. Pod's horse is not behaving well for him. <laughs> and Pod ends up in trouble eventually. And so she circles around and comes back and saves him. Mm -hmm. And 
it's a really nice moment where, you know, she's kind of been giving him a whole bunch of crap, but then she's there for him. Yeah. And then she's a little bit nicer to him, but still has to kind of keep him down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> she She's like, get your horse. And knowing that the horse is way the hell over there, doesn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> knowing that it's not yeah. his horse. Um and this this is this also shows Pod is not afraid of of battle. Like he's he he's not uh he's not good at it, but he you know, he still stands his ground where he needs to and, and finds utility and survives long enough for Brienne to get there and show them what's up. Um but yeah, Brienne does care even if she tries to say she doesn't because she goes in there swoop it swoops in there like Wonder Woman, saves the day, and then they continue on their way. <laughs> Like, okay, well, that was a setback. Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's pretty much all we see of them. Yeah. It's just really those a couple scenes that really culminate pretty quickly. It's interesting that the way they told this story across these episodes, in episode 501, we have another one of those scenarios where she is just uh, sorry Brienne almost completely misses the opportunity to uh, see Sansa like they're Sansa's literally driving by her yeah and they only end up catching up because they end up at the same inn right it's it's yet another one of those moments where pivotal characters that are supposed to be together are in ridiculously close proximity, but they don't know it. Right. Cause uh, oh, there's only like five roads in all of Westeros. So, <laughs> 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 and uh, again, like, like I said, the thing, this is the, the, uh, I don't even know how many times we ran across this one in at the crossroads. Holy crap. This is one busy place. It's like the only place that stays in business. Everywhere else either gets burned down or robbed. But there's always too much going on at this place for that to happen. Um, now let's go with. Um, shall we go with uh, Marjorie and her brother? They have a nice little chat. Yeah, and this is very short and doesn't seem to be significantly related to a lot, except that Marjorie runs into. Uh, or, or I guess, uh, walks into Loris's chambers, where he's spending some intimate time with uh, Oliver. And Marjorie's like, "What are you doing? We need to make a good impression here." Yeah, and he's basically, "Well, everybody knows already, so why am I going to hide it?" And it doesn't really push the story forward very much, but it kind of gives you a glimpse of what's going on. A little little filler in what's going on in Marjorie's life, as that's going to be more and more important as we go through this as well. Yeah, I guess so. It just struck me as kind of gratuitous. Like, all right, we've already established that Loris is gay and that he is, you know, they've had a couple scenes with him with men. Why, like, why that now? Like, they could have had a conversation about this. The fact that he was in bed with someone right right there mm-hmm. while they were in town specifically for the funeral seemed just a little bit weird yeah and unnecessary 
Um, and then let's get to, and this starts out in 502. We don't see her at all in 501, but in 502, we open with Aria arriving in Bravos. Yes. And she just sees all these sites of a town that is alive and stuff is going on. And then the next thing that you know, she's dropped off at a house with black and white doors Mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Right. On water. It's a huge city. And in the middle of nowhere with nothing around it, surrounded by nothing but water, is this huge building with massive black and white doors. And the doors aren't black and white. One one door is black, one door is white, and the rest of the building is like this stone gray. Right. (laughs) Like, what is going on here? Um, She tries to get in. Nobody will let her in. They tell her to go away. This one old old brown man tells tells her to go away, and she just kind of hangs out there, and she recites her list. And I wrote this down because we wanted to keep track of what's going on here. Arya's current list is Cersei, Walder Frey, The Mountain, Marin Trant. Those are the four names on her list. She's marked off the Hound because she believes him to be dead. Um, so he's gone. Uh, and really, it's just these these four people. Now, The Mountain is dead-ish, but Kyburn uh, <laughs> is, uh, is kind of trying to keep him alive. And Walder Frey, of course, is, is is at the Twins and Cersei. Well, she's live and kicking. Um, so yeah, th- this is this is a very interesting list. That's all it is right now. It's just four names. Everybody else is crossed off. Yeah, and so she's reciting this incessantly in a sequence that is intended to have us believe that time is passing mm-hmm. and. I guess we conclude that it's been 24 hours, but maybe more based on the way it was produced. You, The weather has changed. Right. We only see one night scene. We we see two day scenes. But I, it, it, supposedly some amount of time has passed, at least 24 hours. And all I could think of is, what did she eat? Where did she shit? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's the big moat right there, so she probably could have just taken care of her business right over there. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> like, but it, it, it shows that she's she's there for a reason, and she's she's not backing down. Um, until she does. Until she does. <laughs> in which case, at one point, she's like, screw this. She throws the coin in the water and walks away. Uh, her little special coin that she got from uh, her Jacob. Whatever Haken Jacker or Jakar Hakan or whatever his name was, uh, the multi-faced guy, and she runs goes into town and starts uh, hunting some pigeons because that's what she did in, in King's Landing uh, when she had to survive on her own. So she does that again. She gets her a pigeon, snaps his neck, and is like, "Yeah, dinner." And she goes trucking off through the city. And ends up finding herself some trouble. <laughs> Like three dudes are just like, hey, little girl, we want your pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> so she turns around and faces them and is like, no, you're not taking my pigeon. And oh, by the way, I've got this sword for you. You can have some of this. And the brown dude that had answered the door at the door at the building, at the house of black and white is seen in the background. And the three dudes run away. 
and Arya chases the brown guy back to the house of black and white. Yep. Yep. And at the house of black and white, he, she confronts him and says, Hey, what's, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. He says, Oh, you left something and gives her the coin that she had tossed in the water. Yeah. And then lo and behold, there's Jogan Hagar. Sure. And, okay. And Jogan, yeah. Jogan, Jogan. <laughs> but he doesn't answer to that name now. No. No, because he is no one. A man is no one. Okay, so. whatever. Yeah, that's 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 part of Arya's journey, and eventually she's she's there, and the door opens, and she gets to go inside, and that's how we uh, that's how we close out episode five hundred two. Yep. Um, we there was there were a few things that we we skipped along the way. Jamie talking to Bron. Bron is out seeing his land with his new bride to be. Talking about how awesome it's going to be, and then she reminds him, "Well, I'm the second daughter, so my older sister gets everything." And Bron says, "Well, people that are mean have a tendency to get what they deserve." And his new bride is smiling; she's all happy about it. And then uh, Jamie rides up and says, uh, "Yeah, we're—I'm taking you to Dorne with me to go get Marcella." Yeah, and this was a really weird scene for me because I wasn't quite figuring, I wasn't quite understanding. Okay. First of all, where is Bron and who is this woman (laughs) and why do we care? And Oh, there's Jamie just to sit in there looking damn good, (laughs) by the way. Uh, probably like more chivalrous and determined than ever because he's going to go get his daughter back. Right. And um, yeah, we're just very strange. I had a hard time putting these pieces together. And then to make it even more confusing, we jump to Dorne where the Sand Snakes, these these ladies that are, are renowned in Dorne for being very, very lethal, express their concern that Marcella is just walking around, enjoying the sights. Meanwhile, her family was responsible for the death of Oberon and all these, it just, it's, it's kind of this scene that sets things up later, but I really think they could have done better with it and explained a little bit more. I'm sure you were confused. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because I had to do a little bit of, IMDB hunting mm. to figure out who are these people? Have we seen them before? What is going on? <laughs> who? How are they related? I don't understand. What is Dr. Bashir doing here? So basically we have we're introduced to Doran, Prince Doran who we've heard of before mm-hmm. but haven't met before mm-hmm. and Alaria Sand who I have no idea about I don't understand who she is, what her relationship is to Doran, but she's decided that she's going to take her pissed off attitude to Doran and let him know that this, you know, that this Lannister does not belong here and that they should avenge their brother's death. And he's like, no, that is not what we do. Right. Yeah, the, the Dornish are the other peaceful types, and you're talking to the most lethal people in 
in Dorne. <laughs> um, even even uh, uh, Dorne's guard is like wary about trying to trying to front up with with Alaria, uh, and that's just how it goes. And do we learn more about Alaria at some point? Because I don't get it. We do. We learn a okay. lot more. Um, okay. And, and this is one of those things. Okay, so this is part of the books that I read, and this is exactly how this chapter was introduced. All these characters were just kind of like thrown at you for no reason. And you're like, what is going on here? What is this chapter about? Why am I reading about these people? And then it kind of comes clear a little bit later. Meanwhile, the show does exactly the same thing. Throws you into Dorne. You don't know what's going on, what, what, how things are, are flowing. And they just kind of expect you to catch up later, which you do, but it's, it's a rough transition. Yeah. I, I was a little bit confused by this, and then I concluded that, okay, well, we're supposed to figure out that this is important, and we'll see more later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for my notes, the only other scene we didn't talk about was Shireen teaching Gilly to read. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one more, but yes, this is... Uh, th- this is actually, a, a, I think, an interesting scene because you have Shireen, who's, you know, inherently good, trying to help someone who is marvelled by the concept of reading and just like mm-hmm. can't believe that all these people can do this. Yeah, and and uh, she says how, uh, in in teaching her, she says how she learned to read when she was three. Which right, Gilly is astounded by. Yeah, <laughs> and then Sam makes a comment. Gilly gets a little indignant about it, like, "Oh, well, not everybody has these opportunities or whatever." And then Stannis' wife comes strolling in there and breaking up the the happy party. Well, I wasn't entirely happy because the conversation that she broke up was Gilly explaining that in her family. Her sisters, I believe she referred to them as her sisters, because they were all weirdly related, who had the grayscale, uh, yeah. referring to that properly, yep. basically got killed. Right. They were they were taken out. Uh, the grayscale was allowed to continue its course, and then when they became less human and more animal, their father would just have them killed. Except that before she actually came to saying those words, in comes the mother. Yeah. Um, and this is all important because Shireen has the grayscale, or at least had. Uh, it was cured. They don't know how it was cured, and now she's still got the scars from it. And this is this whole conversation right here, it doesn't really add much to the stories of the individuals. It gives you a little bit of backstory. But what it's doing is it's alluding to something that's going to come later uh, here in a few episodes. And it kind of gives you the introduction, gives you a name for things, and sets the stage up for what is to come. So, Got it. Um, Got it. Okay. So there, there is one more scene that we haven't talked about it, uh, that we haven't talked about yet, and it is pretty good, actually. So the small council is meeting, <laughs> but Tommen is absent. Yeah. But interestingly enough, the Queen Mother happens to be there, speaking 
on behalf of Tommen. Right. Presumably at his request. And her uncle is not having it. No, 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 no. Uh, exactly. So while the first notes of dissension are very easily quelled, I would say, by Cersei bequeathing upon them new titles and responsibilities and you know mm-hmm. stuff that's going to distract them. No, uh, Uncle Kevin, not happy about this at all. <laughs> No, he's he wants to hear things from the king himself and not the queen mother, who is not even the queen regent anymore. She's just she, she's just not anything. She's just a lady. Uh, she's uh, she holds no no office and presumably no power. And that's how that's how he sees it. And he's basically her biggest rival. He walks out on the meetings like, okay, well, screw this. Yeah. So it it, it was a nice moment for me to finally see her kind of put in her place. Yeah. And while others were insinuating that no, they, they were easily distracted and no one kind of had the, the stand that he took in making it completely obvious that, you know, you're not in charge. Right. And I'll be happy to talk to Tom and let him call on me when he's ready. And let's not forget that uh, 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 oh, what is his name? Maester is not happy about uh, Maester Pycelle. Is it Pycelle? I think it's Pycelle. I don't remember. He is not happy about uh, Cersei's new fun companion that she's going to take guidance from instead of the Maesters. He's pretty pissed off about Mister Deathlover uh, hanging out and being part of the small council. Yeah, and 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 that a hand of the king has not yet been selected. Right, right. Right, so that that's some point of dissension too. And they ask, are you the hand of the king? Well, no, I'm just, you know, providing motherly guidance. Yeah. <laughs> just so creepy, the whole thing. He's just creepy, plays it so well. All right. Um, so, is that everything that's going on in these two episodes? I think we've uh, we've we've broken it down really well. Yeah, that's what I. That's the stuff that was poignant for me. And you know, you know who's been really quiet for most of this episode? Um, Jenny. Oh, right, Jenny. Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Jenny had an emergency while we were talking yeah. and had to leave so unfortunately we did not get her thoughts on the latter half of this discussion <laughs> but we'll be sure to include those next time i'm really bummed that she's missed these i'm really bummed yeah yeah uh, we're getting into so the stage is set and we are getting into the thick of the story and things are about to start changing and and progressing very quickly partially because the show is catching up to and beginning to surpass the books uh, mm-hmm. in, in certain storylines, but also just because all the backstory that you need to know to get to the end game is present. So all the, all the filling in, all the, the pieces are all going into place where they need to be for the final uh, push towards the, the end of the, of the show. 
and and that's really that that's really exciting to me because it means we're we're beyond all the filler. There's it's just it's just fun action good stuff from here on out. So this is the this is like you're you're uh, over the main hill on the roller coaster and now this is the fun part of the ride. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. In in twists and turns and loop-de-loops and everything else all await us and they all happen very quickly and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Sounds yeah. good. I was going to try and come up with another tortured metaphor, but I figure one's enough. Yeah, yeah, we just we just stick with that one. Um and we will come up with another one for the next time when we talk about thrones with Jenny, Richard, and myself. Um, Richard, where can people find you real quick? On the Twitter, they can find me at Richard Gunther. That is a place where I aggregate all of my other voices on Twitter and talk about other stuff that I do. (laughs) There you go. And you can find Jenny at JennyJ23 on the Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. And if you want to give us feedback on this show, you can let us know at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. And that's it. Let's uh, see you next time when we talk about thrones. See ya. R-A-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y